0: As I kicked off my editing for this week's episode 30 of the Dogger Muddy Music Podcast, our treetop studio was being pelted by rain generated from Hurricane Gordon. Boy, I'm glad this storm was downgraded. We are getting a good amount of rain, but nowhere near what it could have been. Our guest today is Tim Delauder, founding member and leader of FIRST, Tripping Daisy, and currently Polyphonic Spree. Get ready for some fascinating stories that go beyond his band work into movie and TV soundtracks, acting, and the annual holiday extravaganza at the Majestic Theater. Listen up! We have a big bonus for those of you listening in today. Tim brought the hit Tripping Daisy album, I Am an Elastic Firecracker, to the Treetop Studios. He is signing it, and we will tell you later in the show how to participate in a drawing to win this album that launched Tripping Daisy's career. To promote the Dogger Muddy podcast, and in particular this show with Tim Delauder, we executed an ad campaign with the Dallas Observer this week. For those of you clicking into the show thanks to our Observer ads, welcome, and please come back soon to listen in on past or future interview sessions. Hey, the sun is breaking through the clouds. Amy, can you get us started? (laughs)
1: This is the Dogger & Muddy Music Show. Listen up. It's all about the music. Let's check in on the artists, songs, and people behind the scenes. Are you listening?
0: I'm feeling good. For this show, Muddy has uh, handed the mic over to Tim Delauder. There are so many musical facets to Tim's life. Tripping Daisy, Polyphonic Spree, Music for the movies and TV, one at the top of the list is the music he did for Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind, the movie that had Jim Carrey and Kate Winslet in it. The annual holiday extravaganza at the Majestic is coming up again in December. you got to be there. It's a, it's, a, it's a required attendance for everybody in Dallas, I believe. And now he's acting in the upcoming movie, This World Won't Break. All right, we're going to explore all those uh, facets of Tim's life. Tim, welcome to the Dogger and Muddy Treetop Studios.
1: Awesome. It's good to be here. Thank you for having me. Glad to have you.
0: Uh, Paul Williams, a mutual friend of ours, Yeah, calls you a force of nature oh wow that's fun
1: i didn't know paul paul williams from smoky and the bandit no paul williams i'm just kidding
0: (laughs) yeah very good i like that i like that that's good uh
1: no paul's a a dear sweet man and uh i like paul a lot he's a good guy
0: he's doing good stuff over over there at state fair records he really is hey it was really sweet chris penn good friend of yours, and I believe he actually works with you in some form or fashion uh, with good records, Mm -hmm. uh, introduced us. So I want to thank Chris for his connecting
1: us. Yeah, CP, that's what he do. He's a good boy.
0: (laughs) What all does he do with you or do you do together with him? He
1: kind of does it all. You know, he's a jack of all trades. He kind of does a little bit of everything, but he is good records. You know, he runs it. It's, it's It's his handprint all over it. And he uh helps me on managing and has on and off for years wow and and my wife Julie he's almost a family member when I went to
0: the big holiday extravaganza he was he was jumping around on stage all the time in between sets and stuff
1: yeah he's he's right there in the thick of it. I couldn't do anything without that guy he's he's a big he's a dear friend and he's a he's a huge component to making things work for me
0: now you were born and raised here in Dallas, right yeah yeah and so
1: when did you fall in love with music? Uh, I try to think back my earliest memories of music. I mean, I always think back of I was living in with my mom in some apartments, Harvest Hill apartments off Midway and l b j Sure. I uh, lived over there for a while. lived in Oak Cliff for a while as a kid, growing up. When I tend to think about music on the radio, I tend to think of it at that time. I was probably in between first and second grade. Just listening to sunny pop music in the seventies. I just liked it. My first record I ever bought was a forty-five at the drugstore. It was a Beach Baby by the First Class. It was a forty-five. Yeah. With that, and then Walt Disney Storybook records were a big thing <laughs> yes, for me. Yes, they were. You'd get sick. You'd go to the drugstore and you get a, you know, a record and had the book in it, so you could like play the record, look at the pictures, and that's where I think. I lo- I drew a lot of my uh, inspiration for my current group, the Polyphonic Spree, was through those storybook records because they would tell stories with symphonic instruments. Brer Rabbit was going down the the path. It would be a flute playing, a you know, and it's like I just kind of found that fascinating how they would use instruments to tell stories and make you and make you see things, you know, by simply using different instruments. And I think that had a lot to do with where I'm at with Polyphonic Spree, mixed with that kind of memory of the golden time in music, which was the 70s, in my opinion. Growing up in that era, so. Um, but I lived in, I lived, I lived off of there, and then I moved to Lakewood and went to elementary, Lakewood Elementary, East Dallas. i lived, I lived in California. I've lived in Colorado at Crested Butte. I managed a warming hut up there one time for about a year, and. I had to ski to work every day. So I've kind of always been in and out of it. But I'd say my earliest music experience was probably at, at those times.
0: Yeah, that's fascinating. Yeah. I, lo- I love your, cor- your how the uh, music and the animals, the correlation between them really grabbed you. That's yeah. fascinating. Yeah, it's a trip. So Tripping Daisy came together in 1990. To me, you have you have a very distinctive sound. So, how did you decide to define your music? How did you approach that, and how did it come about?
1: You know, that's how does it ever come about? I mean, just kind of like you hook up with guys and you start playing, and each one of them have their own distinct. Dinked- sound about them and sure. Wes and I just hit it off there were a lot of jams going on I'd hang out with Fever in the Funk House and Kenny Withrow and there would be jams going on all the time and we would just do these improv jams at so like 5 o'clock in the morning just all night stuff and I'd be looking for you know guys to play with at the time right. I didn't have a band but I was trying to form a band and my wife was going to school at Kim Dawson KD Studio and Wes Bergen was going there and he said he played guitar and she goes "Well, am I boyfriend's trying to put a band together y'all should hook up and so we hooked up and he and I we just clicked immediately he uh brought his guitar over and I said just play something and because I I improvise a, a lot oh, do you? Okay. yeah and so I said just play something and I'm gonna I'm gonna sing and put a melody to melody to it let's see if we can do something So he just immediately started playing and I started singing and we were just coming up with stuff left and right. He would adjust to me and my melody and I would adjust to him. It's just like this. We were on totally on the same page and it was a match. Wes was extremely talented guy, very dynamic and just a beautiful human being. But we just hit it off and you know that sound just happens the way he plays and right. I guess the way my melodies were phrased and Mark's bass playing and it just made for a sound and we all kind of liked pop music and rock. I was a little bit more on the psychedelic tip at that time and um, Yeah, I
0: can yeah, I can sense that. And so
1: I think it's just who we were is what made up that band.
0: I mean, that's a real connection at the core. Yeah. I mean, to sit there he creates something and you you start scatting over over him with your voice, yeah. voice and doing syllables or whatever and then in
1: turn he comes back. No, I'm the singing other way. words. That's how you I immediately
0: re- had words coming out. Yeah, of yeah
1: that's how I write. Um, really? It's kind of a weird. Yeah, it's I write the lyrics and the and the melody, the music all at the same time, and then I go back and I'll like I'll record it. Say you know this is the gist of what I was talking about, and I'll go back and try to craft it to where it's more of the world of what I'm trying to talk about. Right. But initially it's born at the moment. I'm just inspired by the music and I'll just go there. I've always written like that. That's why I used to do the those jams. I'd go and play and it's like I'd you know, and Tripping Daisy got good at that because we just did it. We improvised so much. We would do it live on stage all the time and no one would ever know that we they were hearing those songs for the first time as we were hearing them. Really? you yeah.
0: almost start off on a jam and then you take off together? Yeah.
1: Really? Yeah, totally. We did it all the time. It was, people had no idea and they go, we really liked that song. When did y'all do that? And we're like, we just did it tonight. And it just kind of <laughs> came out, you know, you never knew when it was going to happen. But when it did, it was like, wow, that's really good. We were, we were good at that.
0: Can you tell me of another band that
1: approached it that way? Uh, I mean, that's pretty... It's almost
0: like a jazz approach to... Well, I
1: know that... uh People do it. I mean, there was a scene of that happening with us. I mentioned Kenny Withrow. You know, Edie Brickell, she does the same kind of thing. Some people can do it. It's like a lot of people can improvise on their guitar and play. And then there's people that can improvise lyrics and melody. And I'm just one of those people and blessed to be able to do that. And it works. That is really cool. Yeah.
0: So improv is your thing. Improv is my thing. <laughs> totally.
1: It is. It was the core of making Polyphonic Spree, which is, I'm sure we'll talk about that later. So your commercial
0: breakthrough was I am an elastic firecracker. Yeah. When you went in the studio, when you finished it up, did you think it was going to skyrocket?
1: The people around us were really excited about it. A couple of songs they were excited about. I, I Got a Girl was the one. You know how labels are. They immediately gotta zoned in a, on Gotta have a hit. Yeah, they're immediately zoning in on the single, which I Got a Girl was the single, which that record's got a lot. Like I can't imagine that song being on the same record as Prick. Correct. And there's a lot of that going on in the, on that record. I think we're trying to figure out who we were and what right. we're going to be and... Um, it was our first big, big record,
0: and I think I got a girl. day MTV grabbed it, yeah. The video you did, and it got really good play. Yeah, y'all love that song. I love Wes Berggren's play on on Prick. As a matter of fact, I mean, yeah. I, I keep playing that over and over. It's just like, wow, he's nailing it. Oh
1: my god, that! I, I mean, I remember when he did that lead. I'm literally sitting here, i because I'm like trying to egg him on while he's laying his track down and because we're it's he's going back to do his lead and it's an overdub and he's playing it and I'm sitting right like literally I'm on my on my knees and I'm like by his effects and I'm kind of like turning knobs and stuff and he is just he went through it one time really and nailed that I still listen to that lead and it gets me so fired up. It's such a great moment that was captured. That lead's incredible and it was one take. We he was he did it and we're like holy shit, you know, we, we went back in control room and listened to it. And we were all just stunned of what we just heard that he just that just did that. It was a trip. He was a talented guy.
0: And I think going back to uh, talking about melodies, you're, mm-hmm. you're playing off of each other. To me and Prick and several of the other songs, he's he's telling a story. He's totally. not just doing a lead. Totally. He's telling a story
1: yeah. as he's playing. he's He was high talented. He would like whip stuff stuff out on the piano, like, you didn't even know that Wes played piano, first of all. He oh, sat so. down on a piano, he just starts playing Chopin, it's like, what? what? I mean, are you kidding me? Like, he just would bust it out. Yeah, you just didn't know what his limit was on really anything. He's a really smart guy, really witty, fascinated with physics and just, and quantum theory. He was way out there, but real, not like nerdy or anything like that, but... Just a real lovable, happy-go-lucky guy. Just such a beautiful soul. One of the mo- most beautiful people I've ever known in my life was Wes. Wow, for sure.
0: It sounds like the core was really you and Wes because you wrote. I w- it sounds like you wrote the music. Yeah, and some of your other band members kind of
1: came and went. But- yeah, it was it was me and Wes and and Mark. Mark is you know kind of underrated in my opinion. He's a great bass player. He plays bass. Almost like a guitar sometimes. There's wow. a lot of melody in his bass playing. Mark's a great bass player. But yeah, it was it was mainly West Nile writing. And then I got more where I was writing the songs, and, but we collaborated all the time.
0: Right. And you toured the U.S.? Oh, yeah. In UK, Europe, yeah. Yeah, you were
1: saying earlier, before we started this interview, you toured with, was that with Def Leppard? That was Def Leppard, yeah, uh, on on firecracker it was towards the end of firecracker we were so fried we shouldn't have taken that tour on but because we were we should have been done and like trying to make another record we went out with them for three months they were great guys and it was a cushy tour because we were playing you know sheds all over the country and and in canada they're great guys i went and saw them last night as i was telling you and yeah i hang out with them after the show and just like they're just still nailing it. They're great guys, and they're still doing their thing, man, and had you know 30,000 people going nuts for them. It was pretty awesome. That's great. Yeah. That's
0: great. Tough stuff. Are yeah. You, are you comfortable talking about the loss of Wes? Yeah. So you're doing well, mm-hmm. and all of a sudden Wes...
1: Yeah, we were... I think we were kind of... Tripping Daisy was reaching a point of being burnt out. We had toured so... So much hard touring, you know, like in a van and trailer and for months at a time. You know, I think we we needed a break because we, we were always working, always playing, just constantly going. And I think in some weird way, Wes kind of gave us a break by doing what he did. It took the, took the life out of me and all the other people that were around Wes. And it was gut-wrenching, horrible, horrible, horrible thing.
0: I bet. I think you finished an album that was in, yeah. in editing right then, and then like within two months of his passing, you shut the band down.
1: Yeah, I had his dad come in and actually finish the a piano part on one of the songs. I think wow. of soothing jubilee um, that Weston finished, so his dad came and played, which was wow a trip. But um, yeah. So then we put that record out, and yeah, there you go. Wow. Yeah, I guess you don't ever. No, if you're really uh, over something like that, you know. I don't. You don't ever get over something like that. No, you don't. Getting back to the band, I made a conscious decision at the time. I was like, Wes isn't in this. I can't. I can't do this anymore. I right. can't do. I can't do this anymore. And well, I mean, really... it sounds like
0: the way you two work together. I mean, literally just sitting down and just creating right there on the spot. Yeah. I mean, how can, how do you replace that? Yeah, you were like connected at the hip. He
1: was a dear friend. I mean, he was. You Absolutely. know, it was. It was horrible. I couldn't imagine Tripping Daisy going on without him. I know some people can do that. I know some people in the band wanted to keep going, and I, a lot of people were disappointed. But for me, I just I couldn't do it anymore. I didn't think I was going to ever play music again. Not that oh, you was, really, you took I was a serious break I was pretty for much done. I was have, getting ready to have my second child. I had Stella at the time, and Julie was pregnant with Oscar. Yeah, I was just, I'm done. And then one day, I I just picked up the acoustic and just started playing some songs and and writing again, and felt like you know I can like at least I could start writing, and and I felt inspired in a way by something completely different, and just kind of turned all that into something positive and started seeing the world in a different light. And
0: Yeah, your music is from Tripping Daisy to polyphonic. It's it's a big change.
1: Yeah, I mean, you, you can hear things coming down the road on Jesus Hits Like the Atom Bomb, the Tripping Daisy record. You can hear, there's a lean and a nod towards the future, for sure, in my opinion, when I go back and hear some of that stuff. Yeah, lyrics have always kind of been positive. You know, they're more like mantras for me to overcome things. And I think I took that, everything that was going on in my life with the loss of Wes and then the birth of my kids and just seeing the world in a different light and reaching for more than uh, than I'd ever reached before. And I just started to articulate that and it just started happening. Chris said, you know, you got to get out there and start playing again. And he goes, I'm going to book you on a show opening for granddaddy you got two weeks to get something together so i put wow my julie and i got busy and started pulling the band we band together polyphonic spree in literally two weeks did you really and played our show and i had all those songs and it was a trip that's how it happened did wes influence after his
0: passing and then coming forward with polyphonic spree a little while later did his passing or
1: his friendship touch some of your future music I think it did, you know. Like I was telling you earlier about his ability to play. I mean, like when he showed when he started playing Chopin on the piano, I was like, "Wow!" Like I just the capability. I just started started thinking back then, like God, he could go anywhere musically. Literally, he could go anywhere he wants musically. He's got it all. He's there in his wheelhouse. To me, I think that was fascinating, and I think it definitely had an impact on me thinking about the broadness, the broad scope of music, where it could go. It's not just this guitar, bass, drum thing; that much bigger than that. It can be whatever it wants to be. It can be storybook record. It could be. I, that's when it started tying all this stuff together, and I think Wes had, did have an influence on me with that.
0: So polyphonic sprees created. To me, you're more symphonic. With that music, how did you pull that together?
1: That was, you know, that was the trick because I'm not from that world. I'm not classically trained. I, I don't read music. I don't write physically write down notes or anything like that. And, oh, interesting. But I had an appreciation for symphonic instrumentation for the simple fact of what I was talking to you earlier about how the storybook records, they could tell a story with the instruments. And I thought, wouldn't it be cool to be able to have the rock world mixed with the symphonic world? Like you can marry those two together. And instead of one person singing, how about 10 people singing? Make this thick sound. That was the goal. was like, let's take this as far as we can go. Like, where can we really go with this? Like, there's no limits on me. I can do whatever I want. When you start thinking of it like that... And you're not this kind of band or that kind of band. The world just kind of opens up a little bit, and you're like, wow, I can go anywhere. Those instruments, combined with rock, literally give me the ability to do anything I want. And I like that part of it. It just goes, wow. I'm like, it was like, a, it was just set my head on fire. I was like, this is great. And I got excited about it, and it happened.
0: Absolutely. I love it. So I would assume also technology helped too, right? To give you that full sound, you, the, some of the tools that have, had
1: evolved in the musical world. Yeah, well, in a sense, I guess. I mean, we were at the early records. We did it all on tape. We didn't do it like crazy amount of Pro Tools tracks. Yeah. It was like all done twenty-four track studio first record. Yeah, and later on, like together we're heavy. We did. It was done in Pro Tools with mixed with tape. It was weird because we—that was the started. That was in two thousand, so it's before the where we are today. You know where music's just all over your phone, and there wasn't social media, and CDs were a thing, but they're kind of on the way out because the internet's about to come on and showing you the the direction. Right. Coincidentally, you opened a record store in two thousand, as well as as Polyphonic Spree. <laughs> so go figure. It's like. You're, you're opening a record at a time when it, the world's saying, there's no more record stores. <laughs> but here we are 18 years later, and we're still doing it. Oh, and it's exploding. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I visited with
0: the uh, one of the key founders of Hand Drawn Records up in Addison. And yeah. Mean, this, he gave me the stats of where records are going, and it's just unbelievable. Yeah, yeah.
1: it's yeah. great. And I'm so glad that vinyl is has finally made a decent comeback. It took forever, but it's happening.
0: Talking about your sonic palette, with a lot of polyphonic spree music, I kind of feel like I'm standing on top of a cliff. And when I jump, the music just starts rushing at me from every sonic angle. And then when I hit, the music still picks me right back up.
1: That's the nature of the band. You should be a part of it when all that's going on. Oh, that would be a blast. You know, there's a lot of fans out there that, Tripping Daisy fans, weren't really into polyphonic spree. They just kind of Tripping Daisy was their thing, and they just left. And Polyphonic really wasn't their deal. And some people stayed. I'd say most fans from of Tripping Daisy didn't really like Polyphonic. But I can safely say that I love Polyphonic, and I love performing with Polyphonic. Yeah, I like I being in that mix of everybody. And the people are so amazing. The personalities are dynamic. It's just a great group to be a part of, um, I have fun with them on tour, and people always thought at the beginning it was never going to happen. And that, to be honest, I never thought Python Spree was going to be a touring band. I, my initial thought was I just want to like make this sound, and that's kind of all I was focused on. Yeah, really yeah. wasn't thinking it was going to be eighteen years later, and I'm here talking about in the holiday show and being on tour and playing, making records. I just didn't have, I mean, I didn't think of it like that. I was just like, I want to make this sound. I want to see what this is like. But I wasn't thinking because I'm going to make this a band and go tour with that. I didn't think like that. After experiencing that first show, I was like, man, this is great. There is, this is so cool to be in the middle of this sound and being able to perform in front of people and and see it in their eyes that they come with you, and they like that they're like on that same plane with you. It's something about there's a spirit that comes across with polyphonic that I get that I'm in it, and I know it translates out there to the audience because I can I can feel them riding with us on it. There's just nothing like it. I'll do it till I'm not here anymore.
0: So it sounds like it's very much so a family is up. There. Yeah, yeah,
1: it is. Yeah. It's it's a great group of people, and yeah, we've had a lot of different. Members in the band started out with 28. Oh my goodness. At the goodness. very beginning, it was 28 people that we toured with. I just guess In the band. That's pretty expensive. Yeah, it was expensive. It was stupid expensive. <laughs> it was like, what are you doing? My but, family was like, can't you just get, make the band a little bit smaller, <laughs> you know, so we can like make some money? You're like, uh it's kind of has to be that way you need it you need it to have the instruments it's Do you get just, close to covering your expenses yeah no it's fine. it's we've had a lot of good breaks, and you know the band's had a lot of success and it's done really well yeah. and you have to split everything so it's just you know you you cover your nut but it's it's an expensive venture for sure twenty eight like, people yeah yeah it's not like a little four piece band and you get paid like a four piece band but you're Really a 20-something piece band. And we're not 28 members anymore. I mean, we're down to like 20, you know, something like
0: that. Oh, oh, well, that makes all the difference in
1: the world. You know, it (laughs) fluctuates. No, but it does. I know it's funny. But it it fluctuates, I'd say, from about 17 to 20. There's nothing like it. I love it. And that's what's important. Yeah, I got to love it.
0: Well, and then your music starts getting picked up. So I mentioned mm-hmm. earlier, like the eternal sunshine of the Spotless Mind with Jim Carrey and Kate Winslet. How how did that come about?
1: Well, Polyphonic, when we first started, it was 2001. we still trying to just get out. We could not hardly get anybody to book the band. I never told anybody it was with Tripping Daisy. I kind of kept that under wraps and Interesting. just I this thing to be on its own and not have any residue of Tripping Daisy and, okay, and gotcha. uh, have its own thing. And It was difficult for us to get shows at the beginning because the size of the band, venues didn't quite understand it. It It's going to be a technical nightmare. And it was tough at first. We got this request from Apple, Volkswagen, that they wanted to use Light & Day for an iPod commercial, a national television commercial, for the first time. It was back when... um, Volkswagen made a dock for their iPod or whatever, okay, for the sure. Beetle. Yeah. It was the first time you ever saw a band name on an iPod in a commercial was the Polyphonic Spree. Really?
0: So, you, yeah. So you were before
1: YouTube? Yeah. Well, kick ass. Yeah. That's it was good. It's like when they showed the iPod screen, it comes in through the, the roof of the car and comes down and looks at the screen. and says the Polyphonic Spree light and day on it. That was could you put us on the screen, so when you show the iPod, it shows our song, and Absolutely. they agreed to it. Yeah, and so that point, then they started using that, started doing. Now it's kind of like part of it. We were the first band to do that, and at the time, you know, we we're coming out of the, out of the '90s when it was not cool to be in advertising. Kurt Cobain had made it just right known that you know you don't do commercials. You're a sellout. You're a sellout if you did that stuff. Well. I justified it at the time. I was like, you know what? I I just can't buy into that. I use the I have a Volkswagen. I use Apple products. This band is huge. We need all the help we can get. I can justify this. That was a big point for me could because I turned down things in Tripping Daisy to do ads for things. Even for I got a girl and a big campaign for M and M's that I didn't do, which was a six figure turn down, but it was like I don't wanna it was and all, all right. the bands were in that world right. you know, at that time. is like you didn't want to be, quote, a sellout. And at this point, I was like, man, that doesn't exist for me anymore. I need this, and this is going to be a vehicle to help me get this band out there, and I'm all for it. And so I went for it. I had some other bands that I talked to when we were on tour, and they were like, man, you're like, when you crossed that line and did that, because they were like, did that worry you? I was like, not at all. I justified it in my head, and I, you know, it made all this sense to me to do it. And I didn't see any of the cons about it. They said, well, you've kind of made it where I feel all right if, if, if someone wants to use my song for a TV show or something like that. And I'm like, why not, man? It's just, the world is changing. You got to get your music out there. I'm not, I wasn't being played on the radio. Right. If a TV wants to show, wants to play my song, fine, right. dude, go for it. So that kind of opened it up where TV shows offered us, like we were on Scrubs, we did an episode of Scrubs. They actually put us in the in the show. Oh, you were in the show? Yeah, and it was like a and I Josh. W- Josh was in the show. The deal was, it was a uh, <laughs> sick band member, and Josh. Josh Jordan. Yeah, yeah. was was the oh sick, that oh Josh. Yeah, he was the sick band member, and the, I, he didn't tell me that. And the ba- and the deal was, so he's a sick band member. The hospital thought it'd be a cool idea to let the band come in, in the room and play for him to help boost his spirits. Oh, absolutely. So we come on there and play light and day in his hospital bed room. And so he's laying there. And, but yeah, I mean, that kind of stuff just started happening. We were on Las Vegas, you know, the TV show Las Vegas yeah, with, yeah. with uh what's his name, James Caan. Yeah, we were on that show. They didn't just use the song. They put us in the show where he played in a casino we're like part of I had a speaking part in it. It was it was crazy. I mean, everyone wanted Polyphonic Spree to be in their in their stuff. So it was it was really cool. A lot of fun and great. It, well, it sounds great. like an absolute blast. Yeah. yeah. I um I told James Conner I said, My first shoot 'em up movie was Freebie and the Bean and he goes he just looks at me and goes, Yeah. And just walked off. <laughs> Because <laughs> I didn't mention Godfather. I oh, yeah, that's what I wanted. mentioned. Freebie and the Bean, which was like, what? You know, who even knows about that movie? <laughs>
0: yes, that's great. We started this on Eternal Sunshine. Jim Carrey and Kate
1: Winslet. Any, any follow-up thoughts on that? I was with Hollywood Records at the time, which is Disney, and Mitchell Lee He still is the guy. Does the soundtracks for hollywood records he does all of them he had an end for eternal sunshine actually i watched it the movie in his office he, he goes watch this movie with me you, you want your song in this movie and i said that yeah that'll be great he oh goes, now to
0: me your music fits really well in that. so movie. he, he really just well.
1: asked me if I, and i'm and i'm in there watching it he leaves the office and i'm finishing the movie and he comes back he goes okay so i'm gonna i got your song in there and i'm like what and he goes, yeah. He goes, so they're gonna probably going to make a video for you. I mean, all this happened within the time of me watching the movie and agreeing like I should – he went off and got on the phone and just made – that's how things work, you know, with people that are in those kind of positions. Is- they pick up the phone and, like, make those kind of calls. Anyway, so Michelle Gondry puts the song in the film and makes a video and puts it in the DVD, and it's this really great video of these talking houses and – Jim Carrey, it's just great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. um, I know that. Yeah, it just happened. That's exactly how it happened. He just did it. That's amazing. Yeah. Well, a second
0: ago you were talking about uh, Scrubs and Las Vegas acting, and yeah, now you're coming up in a new movie. Yeah, with our buddy Josh David Jordan putting that
1: together. Yeah, that's I can't believe it. And man, I Josh is like. I was just talking about him earlier. Chris and I had lunch before we, we came over here and we were oh, talking okay. about Josh because he's been trying to get funding to make this movie. I know. He's been doing it without any funding. He's just doing it on a shoestring budget. And the guy's making a, a feature film and he's it's probably, probably 75% edited and done. Right. He's got post-production things he's got to do on it. But he has worked his ass off on that film. They all have. I, I hope nothing but the best for him in the in the movie and my small role in it. it's fun I've had a lot of fun doing it and uh,
0: <laughs> tell the people what your role is well, in Well I I
1: play a transvestite <laughs> who is his name's Troy Lean. Troy Lean? He, Troy Lean. yeah <laughs> and uh he, he she he she is uh Greg's landlord the, right. the star of the the movie he's a country singer he's trying to make ends meet and do his music. He's trying to make it when he's just coming up against all these obstacles, but he's a good songwriter and a great guy. And yeah. anyway, I'm his landlord that has to give him the boot because he hasn't been paying his rent. Right. And now he has been painted on time, and now he's just, he owes me money and it's time for him to go. So right. I give him the boot. I also give him a little plate of cookies and I kept his crabs for him. And but.
0: That's right. It's, <laughs> I saw that scene. It's a right. little, it's, it's a crack up. Yeah,
1: it's, it's a crack It's pretty, up. pretty good. But. I, you know, Josh, he's put his heart and soul in that film, and it's got nothing but good coming its way and, and for him. So I wish him all the success.
0: They're shooting for the end of September to do kind of a premiere. Yeah.
1: Which uh, I'm going to definitely let my listeners know
0: about that. Oh, because definitely. Because I, I want them to
1: be there. It's going it's to be cool. It's going to be really cool. I
0: absolutely love the beginning of the movie. The camera's outside of the Sons of Herman Hall, and he starts telling the stories of the blues. Right. And then we're outside, and then we go inside. And Greg's done with his gig, but he's wrapping up. To me, it's having gigged a little bit, being a right. weekend warrior. It just gives you a great sense of what it's like to be on stage for a few people. Right. Cleaning up afterwards and then heading home. Yeah.
1: Like. Wes used to say that band years are like five years to everyone's one year. You get five years of hard living in a year of everyone else's one year. Yeah. I can, I can believe that. It's, it's a lot of living. In bands,
0: yeah. Curious, are there any lyrics that you wrote that come to mind that you go, "I really like that." That one meant something to me.
1: You know, I put a record out called uh, "Rebel Guts" and BBI Preteen Zenith. That's another project I did with my old buddy Phil Carnatz from um, Tripping Daisy. Yeah, we played a show. My wife Julie played bass. Oh, Dylan Silver's was in it. Jason Garner, Julie, and Evan H- Evan Heisey. And uh, we played. We only played one show, but the record's really good. And there's some, there's some really great lyrics on that record. Cool. I'm not. I've never really considered myself like this lyricist. I, I pride myself on melodies. I, if you okay. ask me, like, what's your strong? I'd say melody is my strong suit. I love melody. I love playing with it, and comes really natural to me. The lyrics, they come, and, and I'm. But I'm not really. I've never really considered myself a lyricist. I guess I am. I, I mean, I have to be. I've written a lot of songs, a lot of <laughs> lyrics. It's not really my strong suit, I don't think, but a lot of people, I think, would disagree with me on that. Melody's always been my thing.
0: Cool. The name of the album, again, for people to check out?
1: The band is Preteen Zenith. Preteen Zenith. Records called Rebel Guts and BBI. I love it.
0: Now, coming up in a few months, football season starting... Soon after that, will come the holidays, mm-hmm. and you'll be on the stage at the Majestic Theater for the big holiday extravaganza. So, how many years have you been doing this? Ah, oh, geez. I, I Give
1: wanted, them back to the city, and I'd say 15, 16. Wow. It started off, I wanted something for my kids to go to, is the whole reason I did it in the first place. Yeah, it's kind of a two-part show. Um, yeah, it was. it's for my kids back when they were younger. Of course, they're too old for it. Now they could care less about it. But it's like... <laughs> dad's they, up
0: on stage showing off
1: again. Yeah, exactly. But back in the day, it was all for them. That was the whole reason I did it. I wanted a family event. I could be with my kids. We could all do something together, and music could be involved. I thought there needs to be a family environment, but also just a little bit of an edge to it. And a little bit of uncertainty, kind of like when Gene Wilder's walking out of Willy Wonka and he doesn't let anybody know that he's gonna, he's got the the, the cane and he's just walking and you think he's crippled and all of a sudden the cane sticks and he rolls over and jumps up. There's surprises and that's, I like that element of the holiday extravaganza. It's a family atmosphere, family friendly for sure. It's to give kids the wonder and because we make it snow in there and I just like that that Variety Show kind of unexpected craziness that um, you can be with your kids with, and it's safe.
0: That's great. So that's the first part of the show, and then you take a little break. Yeah. And then Polyphonic Spree comes out for the...
1: Yeah, and usually, you know, people with little kids at that time take their kids home, and some some will stay, and some will take the kids back, and it becomes more of an adult Polyphonic Spree rock show, you know tim
0: will probably be on the cover of guide the dallas morning news guide section middle of december promoting
1: the show well that would be nice yeah well you they're, were last year yeah, were, yeah they're they're really they're really dallas has always been supportive i've been supportive of this city this is my city and i've you know i've always taken out dallas bands back in tripping days Yeah, i've been pro dallas i love this city i know uh, so me too it's great. it's great
0: yeah can you tell us about the future Tripping Daisy
1: had a reunion last we year. We did. That was for the fans more than anything. There was no closure for the fans back when Wes passed. I always felt weird about that that it was just a a stop. And that's why I considered doing it and I've been people have been hitting me up for Tripping Daisy f- ever since it was not happening, you know. And uh, I thought, you know what? It, let's let's give this a shot you know let's just play a few shows and do it and so we we did it and it was awesome had a lot of fun it was oh yeah the reviews were fantastic yeah it was it was actually pretty crazy it was weird because and you know nick earl who my guitarist for polyphonic the guitarist and tripping daisy he played uh Wes's parts and he nailed that uh, prick lead really yeah and he's like you want to do prick and i go Dude, that's like you're you're walking
0: in holy uh, holy water here. Yeah,
1: like if you can nail that lead, then yeah. And if if you can't nail it, then I'm not. I don't want to do it. He worked and worked and worked and worked and worked on it and got it. And it's like he nailed it. He totally nailed it. It was just like Wes's lead. It was crazy. So we didn't ended up doing that song. Yeah, it was fun. I enjoyed it. It was good to see a lot of the, the faces that I remember from back in the day that were Tripping Daisy fans. It was, you know, it was cathartic, I think, for everybody, for me, for them, for I mean, for the fans. And it was good to visit that world again. I can't see me, you know, I used to say I'd never did right. it, but I really can't see me doing it again. But you never know. You never you know? know. Right. Yeah.
0: And then how about Polyphonic
1: Spree? You got any touring touring coming up? Well, we've got a show October 7th. We're playing. It's a uh, Get the Kids Out to Register to Vote. It's an event called the Buffalo Tree Festival. It's organized by Dylan Silvers and, uh, and the Democratic Party and... A lot of people involved on that. Beto will be there. And, oh, yes. And then all the Dallas candidates here. Colin Allred. Yeah. Yeah. They'll all be there. It's to get kids to register. You can actually register at the festival. They'll take your registration there get you registered to vote.
0: Yeah, my wife signed up. She's been doing some of that. She's been yeah. doing uh, registrations for people to cool. vote. Cool.
1: Yeah, yeah, we got to get kids to vote, man. We got to get people to register to vote. So that's what the, the theme of it is. Yeah, so it's going to be us and Spoon and Sarah Jaffe and oh, wow. a few other people. It's going to be a nice. It's going to be at the Homegrown Festival uh, Main Park. You know where the Homegrown Festivals are. We're Tripping Daisy played our that big outdoor festival. It's going to be there. Okay. So it's downtown outside at the big main park. But okay, October seventh.
0: October seventh. Okay. Yeah.
1: It's only going to be ten bucks to get in. You're going to be there with a bunch of crazy Democrats, you
0: know? <laughs> having a good time. Having a good time. I love it. Yeah. Hey uh, everybody, this has been really neat. Tim is was very nice. He brought. I am an elastic firecracker. An album, Tripping Daisy. You had a little story about this when you handed it to me. So yeah. we, we're gonna, we're going to do a a drawing for this. What you need to do is send me your email and put want tim's record so send me your email and say want tim's record and we'll do a drawing from all the names that are submitted and one of you will get this tripping daisy album with his autograph but tim's going to give you a little bit of
1: advice for when you get it yeah so this record if you're lucky to get this record (laughs) um when we got dropped from island i was kind of made good friends there with the people that at the company and Guy that was a product manager said, "I've got all these records. Are you wanting them? You know, I'm just because they're just going to throw them away." I said, "Yeah, send them to me." He sent them to my uh, house, and I've just had them in storage. But they're from 1995. They're still shrink wrapped. They have the sticker on it from 1995. But the thing about it is, is these when these records first came out, there was a sheet of stamps in there because that was the theme I had done. The guy on the cover, if you guys don't know the firecracker covers the red man on there that's painted red. And they always go, the guy that has blood all over him. Well, it's, it's paint. It's not blood, (laughs) but his name is a Cavallini and he was an Italian mail artist, mail as in postage mail. And this particular picture, this photograph that we used was a stamp that I bought in New York. I got to talking to this guy at a bar um, named EF Higgins he had a book of stamps that he was selling. And I bought one of the sheet of stamps, and this was one of them. The stamps were used, like, in the 70s. These artists were collaborating through the mail. It was a big kind of movement. Like, E.F. Higgins would make a stamp, put it on an envelope, mail it to maybe a Cavallini in Italy. He would put a stamp on that and mail it back, or mail it to someone else. they would put a stamp on it. So it was like a collaboration of artists Working through the post, it doesn 't exist anymore, but back then it was kind of this underground cool thing. Anyway, this guy on the cover, Cavallini, he was probably the Andy Warhol of the uh, art world on the postal art world. He, he actually commissioned Warhol to make a stamp make a picture of him. And he made it into a stamp and put that stamp on all of his things that he sent out like as part of his artwork. Yeah. He was a real eccentric guy. So I thought to pay homage to the story, I would have some sheet of stamps in there and inspire the kids to lick them and stick them and put them on things. The sheet of stamps in there, since this has been sitting in storage, it's got moist. So there's, the stamps have stuck to the, to the actual... Uh,
0: sleeve to the sleeve to the sleeve yeah
1: so you have to steam it like boil a pot of water and let the steam hit it and you'll kind of peel off the. it won't they won't stick it'll come off but you got to kind of have to go through that but it's a safe way of removing the stamps i love it and so i'm just i have to preface that because people go whoa the stickers are i mean the stamps are stuck to the thing it's like dude it's from 95 it's been sitting in storage (laughs) give me a break
0: like you said, it is shrink wrap, but yeah. I'm going to cut it so that Tim can sign it. So the Goal is to still keep the shrink wrap on it, but there will be a slit in there so we get Tim's signature. Yeah, Tim, this has been an absolute blast. Cool. You opened up on a lot of stuff. You covered a heck of a lot of ground. I've, I've learned a ton.
1: Yeah, I've learned. I learned something too. That you know about this. So it was good for me too. Good, I love it. And hopefully,
0: down the road, we can sync back up and see how things have moved on for you. It'd be my pleasure. You got it, Tim. Love it. Thank, Thank you. you. Bye. Bye. Man, did Tim cover a lot of ground in that interview. That was a real treat to talk with Tim, and his openness was fantastic. All right, let's review how you can get your name, email, In the drawing for the Tripping Daisy, I Am an Elastic Firecracker album that has been autographed by Tim Delauder. Number one, email me at Doug, D-O-U-G, Doug at DoggerAndMuddy.com, D-O-G-G-E-R-A-N-D-M-U-D-D-Y. I repeat, Doug at DoggerAndMuddy.com. In the subject or the body of the email, write Want Tim's Record I repeat, Want Tim's Record From the properly completed, submitted emails we will draw the winner the weekend of September 21, 2018 We will notify the winner and set up a local meeting or mail the autographed album to the winner All of you that participate in the drawing your email will be added to the Dogger and Muddy email distribution list. Good luck to all of you. This week, we're heading to Austin, Texas. Currently, I have two exciting interviews lined up during my stay. You will hear the first of those interviews the week of September 24th. Now, next week, September 17th, we will publish a show that we've had in the works for four months, Paul Williams, a good friend of mine and one of the producers at State Fair Records, sat down with me a couple weeks back and we did a deep dive interview analyzing and playing two songs by two different artists that will be released within the next couple months. So this is fascinating. We do a deep dive analysis of these songs. We talk all through it. We break out different pieces of the song to analyze in more depth. I really think you're going to like it. At least I hope so. That's it till next time. Adios. Amy?
1: For ongoing updates, follow Dogger and Muddy on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Till next time. Adios. I cannot feel speak Punches underwater Drifting in the open sea Or is this a dream I cannot see or believe To trust is too falter And to take it's to see is this a dream I will